Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm going to be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you want to spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. Welcome to the Robbie Starbuck Show today. Today, we've got a show all about Christianity and the place of Christianity in government. The media has been going absolutely crazy over the idea that Christians might try to affect government, calling it white Christian nationalism, as if Christians of all colors don't exist, and as if Christians of all colors and all backgrounds don't want their faith and values reflected in the governance of the country they live in. So today I've brought on two very special people, Pastor Rob McCoy from God Speak in Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, Rob has been one of the biggest fighters against all the COVID tyranny and has been leading at his church. And he has been daring the IRS to take action against him, despite him going and endorsing candidates and being very political in his sermons, the way a pastor should be. Pastors should be aligning our values to our governance and to our politics, to affect the politics of the day. And my second guest is going to be Pastor Clint. He is absolutely fantastic. He's from right here in Franklin, Tennessee, and he has been an amazing fighter here. He's starting a church right now, and it has just been the most beautiful thing to witness and to see all these amazing people come to him because he is on fire for God. And so I want to ask him about these same subjects and how the church can connect with government and society at large and change popular culture. So thanks for tuning in to The Robbie Starbucks Show. Here we go. Um, as you all know, I am very outwardly Christian, and I've been talking a lot about the need for Christians to really rise up and take their place within government, and also that we truly live our values and stop, you know, sort of living out this, you know, I think it's best described as a great lie, this deception that we should compromise our beliefs at every turn to get people to accept Jesus, in, in essence, lying to them about what they're believing in. And so I want to talk to both pastors today about this subject. It's kind of broad and wide-ranging, because I think these are important issues we need to talk about. So first, I want to welcome you on, Rob. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Robbie. It's a joy to be with you. You are a blessing to me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, we're just, we're listening to the Lord and, and fighting these battles that I think, you know, are the battles Christians need to be fighting. You know, sometimes people ask me, well, you know, um, is it a Christian thing to do to go fight and try to get these, you know, sex changes for kids outlawed? And I, I can't think of anything that feels more in line with my faith than going and protecting children. You know, when I read the Bible, I can see that to me, it's very clear that God loves his children and values right. his children and that it makes him angry when people hurt his children. That's right. And that feels like a natural place for us as men of God to step in and say, we're going to do what we can to protect kids. So, you know, on, on so many issues, 
you know, and we could go down a list, but on so many issues, it feels like Christianity has been sort of sitting on the sidelines in many ways or living out this new sort of woke Christianity that waters down the belief system, waters down how we're supposed to fight and really waters down the reality that, you know, Jesus was hated by many for his words. His words were deemed offensive. And I think in a time like right now, where we see so many people on different sides saying your words are offensive, so offensive that you should be on person, this and that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of parallels for us to take. But on the overarching view of this, what do you think the role is of Christianity in terms of government and our role to sort of be activists for what we believe in? That's the question of the day. That's a profound question, Robbie. Um, and that's the one that is going to see us out of this misery that we're now inundated with. Christians think that peace is the absence of conflict. Uh, and, and we're peace lovers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. But peace is not the absence of conflict. Christ said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Peace is the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. We're contending with ideologies that seek to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, that's the enemy operating. We're creating the image of God. The secular progressive left, they they want to be in control of life from from conception to to the ninth month, last day, and maybe in California, looking at the Proposition 1, it, feasibly up to 28 days after birth, where they can decide whether that child lives or dies. They, they want to be God. They want to decide what gender you're going to be, and they get to mess with the DNA, and they get to mess with the hormones. And and, and the, the same thing with your body as an experimental device for, you know, experimental mRNA injections. So when you say, I, I'm, I'm called to defend the least of these, the Bible says to cause one of these children to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the deepest ocean. And Jesus said, when confronted or asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets meaning all the laws in the pentateuch are all encapsulated in love the lord your god with all your heart soul strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself to love your neighbor means you contend for their freedom because the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy and you're contending for their freedom and and their freedom of speech so now we see tyranny suppression you know censorship unprecedented in my lifetime, what we've witnessed with the secular progressive left. So yeah, Christians need to step into the public square. I can elaborate more on that because the word church isn't the right word. Uh, there's another one in Matthew 16, 18, that's very profound and one we need to examine uh, as, this, as this discussion continues. Yeah. You know, I, I would say, would you say it's fair to say that to get to that peace, it seems so desirable to everybody that's, you know, biblically based, is it fair to say to get there, you have to also be willing to defend and to fight for the values that are laid out in front of us, that if we're not willing to defend them, that we're sort of the cowards in the corner that we're not called to be, you know, we're supposed to be these shining examples that, that share our light into the world. That's biblical. We're supposed to spread that light of Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes that's going to offend people, you know, and, and that's the thing I think has been lost in, 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 you know, segments of the church, especially a lot of the mega churches. And you could tell me, you know, agree, disagree here. The way I see some of these mega churches, and I'd say the vast majority, I don't want to judge all of them with, you know, wholesale, but the vast majority, 
I feel like they're compromising Christianity to get people in the doors to get the donations. And then you see a lot of these pastors, you know, they're on private jets. They've got all these mansions, this, that and the other. And they don't fight for anything. They don't stand for anything. They're not like you. You know, they're not like Pastor Clint, who's coming, where you guys will risk your honor, your integrity, your life for what you believe in. You'll put it all on the line. You will fight to the last day for what you believe. And that is what I believe Jesus called us to be. Am I wrong? Not at all. You're you're spot on. We we are to contend in the public. Jesus takes his disciples of Caesarea Philippi, the headwaters of the Jordan, which is a resplendent park-like setting. And these Orthodox Jewish boys, it's a long, it's a long hike from Galilee. And they get up there, and every culture that's dominated the region has set up a temple to their god or goddess. So the cliff, the cliffs up at Caesarea Philippi are inundated with carvings and, you know, temples to gods and goddesses. And in the cacophony of noise, because the Romans occupied the region. And they were probably worshiping Bacchus or Aphrodite. In the cacophony of pagan worship, Jesus turns to his Orthodox disciples, these Jewish boys, and says, who do men say that I am? And they go, well, some say you're Jeremiah, others say you're John the Baptist. He says, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, and upon this rock, I will build my, and everyone says church. It's not church. That didn't come to hundreds of years later. The, the word that Jesus used was a secular term. He didn't use a religious term. He didn't say synagogue or temple. He used a, um, a secular term that had been in use and, and defined by Aristotle hundreds of years earlier called ecclesia or ecclesia, which translated is the public square or city hall. So when you read Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, I'll build my city hall or my public square and the gates which enslave the gates of hell will not prevail. So, so the law, which is really what we're contending for in the public square, the law, as it says in every graduation ceremony at Harvard Law School, invoked by John McGuire, who was the dean at the time, and and his his statement has been invoked every graduation cycle, and it's actually uh, on a plaque in the stairwell of, of Harvard Law School. It says, "The law is the wise restraints that make men free." And you think, how do restraints make men free? You apply restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence. So any athlete understands this. While their classmates are out partying on Friday night, they're in bed because they have practice at 7 a.m. And you have to front load your life in order to pursue and enjoy something at a level of excellence others won't. It's the same thing with academics. And parents understand this when raising children. But from the moral law, you don't steal, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't commit adultery, you don't covet. You love the Lord. You have no other gods before Him. Uh, you, you don't. You, you have no idols, and you just you lay that out. You don't take His name in vain. You, you keep the, the Sabbath day holy. From the moral law comes civil law. And my point, and I'll wrap it up with this. My point is this: the moral law, when applied, then every decision you make as as a public official, if if you're governed by the moral law, realizing our rights are are inalienable, given to us by God. We're accountable to him and accountable to each other. That's the Decalogue. First five commandments, our relationship with God. Second five commandments, our relationship with each other. When we understand that, every civil law we we enact and put into place will reflect our, our comprehension and our understanding that we're accountable to God and to each other. You remove God from the equation and the law is no longer the wise restraints that make men free. The law is now used to enslave. 
So upon this rock, I'll build my public square, my city hall. But if you remove God from the equation upon this rock, Satan will enslave. And so you, you quarantine the abused with the abusers. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, you shutter children's schools. You let the elderly die alone. And, and pastor, you're telling me you love your neighbor and you're letting that garbage happen in your city for a virus that has a 99.7% survival rate? And you're allowing the children to be experimented on when they have a 0.00002% chance of death? And, and you're letting this experimental mRNA be injected into them? When we stop the swine flu vaccine for 200 deaths, VAERS already is close to 40,000, if not exceeding it. And they say that's underreported by 95%. So... Don't tell me you love your neighbor. Don't tell me you love the Lord when you don't love your neighbor and you're not willing to contend for their freedom in the public square. That's exactly, Robbie, you're right where God wants you to be. You are in the center of his will, and that's where you find great peace. It, it, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I knew I was going to go to jail. I, 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 I knew that I was going to face contempt charges. I knew all kinds of stuff when I woke up that Sunday morning and I had a complete... Whoa, wait, stop there real quick. For those who don't know, can you explain why did you go to jail? Because some people still don't know about this. Can well, you explain Yeah, I didn't go to jail. I was prepared to go to jail. Uh, they, had, they had placed a restraining order. They had named me and a thousand congregants or visitors with a citation, which if you have an NROTC scholarship, you lose it. If you have a concealed weapons permit, you, you would have to surrender it. If you had a government job or you had government clearance, you'd lose it. It was a serious citation that they were invoking. And they wanted the sheriff's department to enforce it. They were seeking a judge's order. And I woke up that Sunday realizing I'm probably going to jail today. Make sure you're wearing clean underwear. And, um, and, and I got there. And I have to tell you, when I showed up, before I arrived at the church, I, I had a total peace, Robbie. Because I knew that God had called me to do this. I, I wasn't grandstanding. We didn't send out a press release. People said I did it for money. They don't know anything they're talking about in relation to that. I've never passed an offering back in 21 years in ministry. So you, oh my you, you picked the wrong guy when you're trying to accuse me of doing this for filthy lucre. You know, I actually, I, I want to I wanna press in on that, okay? Right. That is a common attack against anybody doing what both of us are doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that to disabuse anybody watching who's sort of in the middle trying to understand, I want to be very clear, at least in my case, and I think this has been the truth across all of my friends who are in similar positions. I gave up a very lucrative job in Hollywood as a director to Oscar winning actors, actresses, some of the biggest music stars, I made a lot of money and I burned it down knowing exactly what would happen. Yep. And my family sacrificed monetarily and I don't need a boo-hoo for it, nothing like that. But this, the attack and, and idea that we would go and fight for truth and to try to be lights to the world for profit is honestly one of the most disgusting things to me because that decision to go and boldly fight this stuff is a decision to no longer care about money. Because if money's at the root of what you want to do in a forsaken world, in a world that's filled with evil, you have to do things and compromise yourself in many ways, especially if you're in the public eye, yeah. to make that money. If that's, if that's just your only goal is money. you know. But if it's not, you just have to trust God's going to provide for you and you have to do the right thing. And that's what you did and, you know, both of us are standing here. I think God is taking care of us and will take care of us. But that whole idea is just is so divorced from the truth. Because to be honest, if you wanted to make a lot of money as a pastor, you would be going and compromising your belief system and lying to people and, and preaching a gospel of just total acceptance of all this hedonism. 
because that's what that's what popular culture demands and rewards of you. And so, you know, I understand why you don't do that because you actually believe in the word. You're actually fighting for it. If you didn't, that is the alternative that that many sadly have chosen to go and choose. So, you know, I think to to really lay into this even further with everything you're saying, you know, I agree with you a thousand percent. There's some intricacies here that where it gets complicated when you get to taxes. Okay. And so um, I'm going to play some clips real quick. You're not going to see them, but I'm going to jump back in um, in a second after this, but I'm going to play some clips of some pastors from some far left churches across America and some of their very political sermons. But in my quiet time, the Lord revealed that this is a very critical time and that we need to do whatever we can to make sure that governor-elect Stacey Abrams gets that she gets elected to the office she was cheated out of last time my Spelman sister an amazing trailblazer, somebody who God anointed from birth for this moment. I wanted to say to America, if you couldn't handle a black mermaid, get ready for a black governor. I am so thankful that her head is not underwater, but she is prepared to walk into the state capitol. New birth, make some noise and receive our leader, Stacey Abrams. Thank you so very much. Thank you in every generation, you by your divine providence, give us just what we need. You've given us even now who we need for such a time as this. Thank you for leader Stacey Abrams, who has availed herself again to be an Esther for such a time as this. Thank you that you've given her a holy vocation and call for such a time as this. And in the name of Jesus, we come against every villain in times like this. Thank you that she and her team are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ and that we will have strength and victory in this day. So we're not going to wait until the results come in, but we're going to open our mouths We're going to claim the victory now in Jesus' name. Thank you for strengthening our hands. Thank you for strengthening our efforts. And we claim it done in Jesus' name. Amen. So now back in, you know, these clips of these pastors, I know you couldn't hear them, but these are these far left pastors. They get very political. Yep, They get very political in their sermons and they face absolutely zero zero consequences from the government or anybody else. But pastors who are, you know, really following the words that that would want to bring Christianity into government in a conservative way, they're constantly told to be silent under threat from the IRS. What can you say about that? What What is the real problem there? What's not working? And how do we fix it? So uh, 
The tax exempt status, which is what's being threatened by the Johnson Amendment, which has never really been applied, um, and it's a violation of the First Amendment, the first 16 words of the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress has no jurisdiction between God and man and man and God. Yeah, you may be the most powerful branch of, of the three branches of government because you control the purse strings and you're, you're the one directly elected by the people who is the sovereign, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union. So we elect them, we hold them accountable, but the very First Amendment says, hey, Congress, you may be powerful, but you will make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then when they gave tax-exempt status, which is the one that everyone is contending for, like, you know, we need to take away tax-exempt status from churches because it's abused. Well, if we're going to apply the same principle, we need to take money away from the government because it's being abused. Yeah. You're telling me, give... I can get on board for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're telling me, take it from the churches that people are voluntarily giving, and they may be out of their mind or they may be caught in a cult, but but they're giving their money, not yours. They're giving their money, and and you're saying, no, 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 tax them. Because it's it, it's a community organization supposed to do good. Not all of them do. But you think, well, why would churches get tax? Every nonprofit gets tax-exempt status in order to, to go back into the community and do things that the government's not real gifted at doing. Ezra 724 is where our founders got the understanding of tax-exempt status. I'll read it to you. Also, we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, uh, Nethanim, or servants of the house of God. And that's where they got it. The idea is, why are you going to be taxing people's worship? Yep. Give it a break. Government's not that powerful. No one stands between God and man and man and God. Not, no no, government. And uh, You already tax everything else anyway. So, I mean, exactly. like, give us a break on one thing. Yeah, and, and they want more money to go to the government because... Let me say this real quick, Robbie. It, it's it's a great illustration. I, I learned it from Congressman Bob McEwen. You have a first-party purchase, a second-party purchase, and a third-party purchase. The first-party purchase is you're buying for yourself with your own money, so you're going to look for two things, price and quality. You want the best price and the best quality because it's your money, and you're going to be using the, the item for yourself. A second-party purchase is you're buying something for yourself with someone else's money, so you don't care about price, but you want everything to do with quality. It doesn't. Well, yeah, we'll do overnight shipping. That's great because someone else is paying for it, and I want every bell and whistle possible. And and a, any parent knows what a second-party purchase is, and any child knows what a second-party purchase is. But a third-party purchase is the most inefficient. You're buying something for somebody else with somebody else's money. Uh, the best way to describe it is. Um, everyone who's late for work has to put a, do a dollar in the kitty jar. And at the end of the month, the employee of the month, they they take the money and they buy something special and they, they award the employee of the month, the person who's on time. So it's it's that day, they're going to be a staff meeting and the boss walks through and he sees a secretary and she's eating her lunch and he says, look, uh, Joe won employee of the month, take this money and go buy something for him for the for the meeting after lunch. Well, she's irritated. So she puts her sandwich down. She's, she's frustrated. She didn't even like Bob or Joe, wherever it is, she goes next door to the most convenient place and buys a six-foot pink bunny rabbit for $199 because there's 200 bucks yeah. for the idiot. They open up the closet in the break room after they award him. They give him a six-foot pink bunny rabbit. Everybody gets a good laugh out of it. He drives home with something he doesn't need or want. 
And that's a that's that's a third party purchase. And every purchase the government makes is a third party purchase. Waste, graft, and corruption. We're a community. A church is a community. We're accountable. They bring their ties and they hold me accountable. I'm I'm hired and fired by the body at large. There's a an elder board. There's accountability. What do you tell the pastors who are struggling or worried about this? What do you tell them when they say, listen, I'm I'm worried about losing my tax exempt status if I go and I talk about you know, the government or politics in my sermon? Well, the first thing I tell them is I've been endorsing candidates from the pulpit since 2001. I've been mailing my CDs back then and cassettes back then to the IRS saying, come get me. Yeah. And then every year the, the IRS is never going to enforce the Johnson Amendment because they know it's a direct violation of the First Amendment. They want to call it the 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 separation clause instead of calling it the First Amendment. And, and when you look at it, you start to realize, man, Hugh, uh, Hugo Black, the, the chief justice in the decision for Everson versus the Board of Education in 19, I want to say 47, where they overturned 150 years of precedent for those first 16 words, and they they changed it. And, and by the way, Hugo Black was a KKK member who had professed his membership in front of 20,000 KKK members, and FDR had appointed him to the Supreme Court. He had never been a judge before, but he had supported FDR in the New Deal as a senator, and FDR gave him a position on the Supreme Court. And he rules in Everson versus a Board of Education, reverses 150 years of precedent that, that did say freedom of religion and changed it to freedom from religion which devastated worship across the country. Um, churches, edifices with scriptures have been taken down if they're on federal land. Crosses have been removed from veterans' memorials if they're on federal land. You're watching this happen across the country. And the, the point is, when, when we realize that the government is not supposed to invoke itself into our lives when it comes to worshiping God, it's just that simple. So a, a government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. They want to be your God. In the secular progressive left, a government for them is their God. They want to decide if you're essential or non-essential. They want to decide if your business is to survive or to be shuttered. They want to decide if your children are worthy or if you have you know, a social media standing that's acceptable because you carry the line of the narrative of the tyranny. They, they want to silence you if you have a different narrative. That, that is the danger of stepping between God and man, where now man becomes your God, and he decides what you can and can't do. But our founders understood these are inalienable rights that have been endowed by our creator. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is the highest virtue. It's, it's, it's the highest good. This, this can is good because it holds fluid. It was designed to hold fluid. If it was leaking, it'd be bad. You, you, you obtain happiness when you fulfill that for which you were created for. And, and that's what our founders understood, that that highest virtue is happiness. And so in a nation that realizes that, that these inalienable rights come from God and we get to apply restraints in order to pursue excellence, 4% of the world's population, which constitutes America in the entirety of, of the world's population, 4%. Yet we've had more patents, Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies, uh, more accumulation of wealth than any other nation in the history of the world. If you ride an elevator, it was invented by an American. You enjoy air conditioning. It was invented by an American. You fly in an airplane. It was invented by an American. You enjoy the internet. It was invented by an American, not Al Gore. All of this was done because 
Canada has more landmass and natural resources than we do, and so does South America as far as natural resources. So the reason why America is so wealthy and prosperous is not because of our natural resources, our landmass, or even our people, because they come from all over the world. It's because of one thing, freedom. Yep. Freedom given to us by God. And government's, government's responsibility is to protect our inalienable rights endowed by our Creator. That is the purpose of government. Not to supply health care, not to supply, you know, whatever. It is to protect our inalienable rights. Just leave me alone and and I will accomplish as God has designed me to. You're and that's where we fit. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You know, for those people who do confuse separation of church and state, and they think that that actually means the government needs to somehow ensure that the church stays separated from government, I think they have it all backwards. Yep. In reality, the government is the one that needs to se stay separated from the business of the church, but it's not their job to separate the church from the government. If the church, pastors, and you know people in clergy want to go and be activists to create the type of government that is in alignment with their belief system, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And I think in America, the beauty of freedom is nobody's trying to create a theocracy, but having our country reflect the values it was founded upon, there's nothing wrong with that. And this idea that we need to have, you know, big daddy government get in the way and go block pastors from being able to, to tell the truth, really, about how their faith aligns with politics, I mean, it, it's really, truly evil. And I think that if anybody really thinks deeply about this, it's very clear why they do this, why they try to have this culture of fear. Because I agree with you, like you said, I don't see the IRS ever acting on this and ever actually punishing a church. But I think you can attest the fear is very real because I can't even name to you the number of pastors who have told me, I wish I could say X, but I'm afraid of losing my nonprofit status. And I have to explain to them all the time, uh, or I'm sorry, I mean tax exempt status. Right. And I have to explain to them all the time that they're not going to enforce this. And at some point you have to decide what matters more to you, even if they were enforcing it. Even yeah. if they were going out there and doing that, is it is it more in alignment with your job as a leader to go and tell the truth and lead people in the right direction, in a more godly direction, or is it the right thing to be quiet because you don't want to rock the boat with with big government? You don't want them to be upset at you. And you know, I think I think a good question here because I do get this a lot from normal people when I have this conversation in public. You know. Throughout the last year, I've actually, I've talked about this a lot with people and a lot of them ask me, you know, what's the right way to approach my pastor if I feel like, you know, he's not connecting the dots on what we need to be doing to bring the church into alignment with, or rather bring the government into alignment with our beliefs. You know, what do we do if a pastor's afraid to touch these subjects? If after a row, they were afraid to talk about abortion, you know, what, what, what do we do? Find a new church. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I really am. I, I, I couldn't be more serious. It, it, if your if your pastor hasn't awoken to what's happening around and and doesn't see it, there there's some serious concerns. It's time to find a new church. I, 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 I agree. Couldn't, I couldn't be more emphatic about that. And and I, I would also say that pastors, you know, that are fearful of losing their tax exempt status. Well, the Bible says that fear of man is a snare. 
and and I would just ask them, what's the why in what you're doing? Yes. And and, and who is it that you're fearful of? The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. That's reverential fear. Uh, is, is yours tacit submission? Because silence in the face of evil is complicit with evil itself. You just look at Numbers 30. If if that's where you get in the wedding ceremony, speak now or forever hold your peace. If you're silent, you are consenting to whatever's happening in that wedding. And, and you're given that opportunity based on Numbers 30 to speak up. So your silence when babies are being ripped apart in the womb of their mother and their parts being flushed into the sewer system of the state of California. But but even more barbaric, we harvest their organs, in some cases on the downbeat of the art. And sell we, them. And sell them. And we make Nazi Germany look like Girl Scouts. And you'll put up a black tile for Black Lives Matter, and all of us agree Black Lives Matter. Nope, nobody argues that. We just disagree on the organization Black Lives Matter, which is supported by Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood supports Black Lives Matter, vice versa. And they ripped off black people, Black Lives Matter, just for the record. I mean, they they oh, ripped right. off, you know, countless black Americans who donated to the organization thinking it was something that it was not and didn't realize it was an organization that worked against the nuclear family, against Judeo-Christian values and fundamentally hates the foundations of America. So, yeah, you know, that's always been the trick, you know, and I think I'm thankful to my friend Candace, uh, Candace Owens, for doing the documentary she did exposing BLM, because that's the thing from the very beginning. All of us have been very vocal. We, we love everybody. I mean, that's what we're called to do. We love everybody. Your race is not a consideration to me. Um, and I think one of the things somebody asked me, uh, would you be upset if your child married somebody who was black? And I was like, that's such a disgusting question. I, I, that's not the consideration. My consideration is, are they a good person? Are they following God? You know, are they somebody who makes my child happy? I don't care about the other stuff, you know, like that. That's not that's not what we're supposed to base those those decisions on. I'm not quite sure how we got there, but I think it's a good side note. Yeah, I, my, my son-in-law is black. My grandkids are, I call them caramel cherubs. Seriously, I mean, the melanin content is now what you're valuing somebody based on or the absence of melanin content. Insane. Yeah, and, and the, the part I was going to add at, at, at that whole spiel I was laying out is if you really believe black lives matter, then you wouldn't support BLM. And the reason why is because 4% of the population of America, which is black childbearing females, constitutes 40% of the abortions. It is a holocaust on the black community. In probably 20 years, you're going to have to go to the Smithsonian Institute to see a black American. The birth rate used to be 7.1. Now it's at 1.6, which is almost, I think it's irreversible. And, and they are decimating the black community by putting these abortion clinics in the heart of the black communities. And they've been doing it because Margaret Sanger, who was a eugenicist, wanted to deal with what she called the Negro problem. But the Democrats and the secular progressive left every year give out the Maggie Awards for Margaret Sanger. Yeah. And don't leave out that she literally went and talked to the KKK yeah. to convince them of supporting abortion so they could get rid of black people. And they, okay. said, they, they said, find ministers who are complicit that will join you in this. And, and you know, he's he, Raphael Warnock. I mean, that guy would, he, he and Margaret Sanger would be the best of friends. And, and I, I'll conclude by saying this, that with the decimation of the black community and then Roe v. Wade is overturned and pastor, you posted a black tile, you marched in the BLM riots or you did whatever, but then Roe v. Wade is overturned. And did you, did you say anything? And if you were silent, it just speaks so clearly and so loudly that you are 
doing what you're doing, not out of a fear of God, but out of a fear of man. And, and, and you know it, you know it. That is absolutely right. And I have to agree with you. You know, um, we both are giving an unpopular answer here and I've struggled with this, which is actually why I asked you the question, because I've said exactly what you said, find a new pastor. And the reason I've said that is because, you know, people become prisoners to comfort sometimes. And I know it's comfortable to go to the same church you've gone to for a very long time. Especially but, if you've invested your, you know, your, your time, treasures and talents. It's hard. I get it. hundred percent. It is. It's hard. And, and I don't want to deny that it's not easy, but Sometimes we need to get uncomfortable to do the right thing. Well, and, and people move out of California and they leave the state of California because it's gone too crazy. Yeah. And you're unwilling to leave your church. I mean, when it comes to a place where you're no longer affecting the church, but the church is affecting you, meaning, um, you know, it, it's it's going left and nobody's listening. Take take your time, your treasures, and your talents elsewhere. They're not appreciated. They're just using you. And it sends a message to the pastors. You know, it does send a message because sometimes to correct those people, the best correction is them seeing that the sheep are going elsewhere. You know, these people are looking for somebody else to lead them. Romans they, 11. doing a good enough job, you know. Romans 11 says it's pro that you provoke them to jealousy. So that's a great word, Robbie. You're right. They, they, they'll see it. They'll start. Our church, we baptized more people in 18 months. Now, let me correct that. We've baptized twice as many people in 18 months as the attendance of the church was 18 months ago. Amazing. That's and, incredible. And, and the church has grown 400%. And I, and I know I know a few of them are transfer growth, but a lot of them are just conversion. They, they, they've Let's never see. darkened the doors of a church. That's what blows my mind is that people like you all over the country who are, are leading these churches and are actually on fire, like this is popular. People yeah. that these churches are exploding in growth. They want and to have so these pastors avoiding it. I, it just blows my mind. Yeah, this is an important subject. This is the battleground for the future of our country, and I thank you for being a leader in it because we need strong men to stand up in times like this. And if we don't have that leadership, you know, I feel like we'd be destined to fall. But we were never destined to fall or fail because. God set up men like you to stand up and to fight and to make sure the church had leaders who were not going to compromise, who were not going to be lukewarm, who were not going to lead children astray, who are going to do the hard things no matter what the consequence of society or government, you know, deals out to you. And so I just want to thank you. And, and that's a big reason I wanted you on today was to just recognize that, but also to have you be a voice of reason to pastors and to people who have had this on their minds. Because I can tell you right now, this is going to become a topic of heavy conversation throughout the next two years. They're going to be saying in the media nonstop, Christians want, you know, this white Christian nationalism. We're going to hear that so many times. It's going to be so disgusting. Yeah, it's going to be. Nonsense. And so I want to be very out and open about our real values and what we need and what we want to do within government. And that is a reflection of our foundations in terms of, of making sure we have a moral core as a country. And so thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it, Rob. Robbie, thank you. Uh, and I, if you don't mind, can I just close with one last thought? Absolutely. All right. I, I want to speak to the pastors out there that you, you have been uh, left of center and, and you have been participating in the fear of man and you've been You've been surrendering to the tyranny of of this of these of this these government actions, but deep down inside, you know you're struggling. You know it's wrong. There, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Apostle Paul says, forget what's behind, strive for what is ahead. Don't double down on the stupidity. Come on over. We, we welcome you. You're not our enemy. You're the opportunity. And people aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. We, we don't want to do an us versus them. We're not dealing with people. We're dealing with ideologies. And, and once you understand that, come on over. Don't let pride separate you or embarrassment because there's nobody here who's going to harbor that upon you. You're, you're welcome. We are ready to hug you. Yeah, we're we'll, ready to bring you I'll in. Join the ranks because your people need you to lead. And then I'll just also add this. Robbie, you have said very kind things about me. and You've encouraged me and blessed me. But I have to tell you something. You are substantially younger than I am. And you possess youth and vitality, but you also have that passion. I have the passion, but I don't have youth. And, and I, I am so encouraged by you and your wife and the work that God has called you both to. Your bravery and your insistence to make sure that it, there is nothing on this earth more valuable to you and your wife and your family than freedom. And I am, I am so blessed by you. And uh, there's a reason why so many people follow you, and they should. So thank you for blessing me. Thank you. I appreciate it, Pastor. Well, if you guys don't have a church and you need something in the interim, um, you're able to watch Pastor Rob online at Godspeak. Where can they find Godspeak um, to watch weekly? That's godspeak.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's robmccoy.us um, or .us. And um, you can you can find my website, robmccoy.us. And uh, so godspeak.com and robmccoy.us. Awesome. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much Bye, for coming guys. on today. Thanks, Robbie. Bless you, man. All right, guys, I've got my friend, Pastor Clint. He's actually one of my pastors. Um, my family and I, we go on Tuesdays. They don't quite have the Sundays set up yet because they're a baby church. They're starting out, and they might not be baby when you show up on Tuesday. There's actually quite a lot of people. You know, they're one of those churches that has really sprung up with the fire of God throughout COVID and has been a leader in really being honest about what Jesus intended for us and how we're supposed to live out our faith. And so um, I was there last Tuesday, and I wasn't planning on the second episode of the show being about Christianity and its place in government or anything along those lines, but just Surin really inspired me. And it was honestly one of the most, I would describe it as God-breathed sermons I've ever heard, if not like the first, it's in the top three, it's up there. I mean, it might even be the best I've ever heard. And it was so important, I felt like it had to be shared with you guys, and I wanted to sort of impart some of my favorite parts um, of this sermon, but also ask him about that place, that place that we have in government, and where is Christianity supposed to fit in? What is this idea of separation of church and state? What does that look like? What what are sort of the confusions and deceptions that are out there? And there are many. And so um, first thing I really want to talk to you about is the watering down of Christianity. How did this happen? Where did it begin? And where is it taking us? Like, what is what is the poison here? Yeah, well, that's a great question because I think it's a the the word that's floating around so much, or that was sold to us so much for two and a half years, was the word pandemic, right? Well, it's we have a pandemic, so to speak, of cowardice. It's infiltrated itself in the church, and I think it's I think it's primarily rooted in this understanding that a shepherd's role, a pastor's role, is to grow the church. And that's actually not the role of a pastor at all. And go look through the Bible. Nowhere in there does it say our role as pastors is to grow the infrastructure of the church or grow the congregates that gather on Sundays. Our goal as a pastor, Robbie, is to shepherd God's people with truth, not to tickle their ears with tantalizing thoughts or our own version of the truth or somehow coddle them in our compromise. It is to shepherd God's people with truth. But 
I think in our efforts to somehow, you know, it, it may be well-meaning as well, but I think what we've done is in our desire to reach the world so much, we have actually morphed into looking like the world. So what I mean by that is, you know, I want to really impact this city or this town or this region, or I want to reach Hollywood, or I want to reach, um, you know, whatever proverbial gate of influence, uh, you know, that you want to place there. And so we go into culture thinking that we're going to impact culture. But what happens is culture impacts us because we have not built our churches on the foundation of the word of God. We don't preach the full gospel, the full counsel of God, and we have built platforms to men instead of altars unto Jesus. And so what happens is whatever you use to get people in your church, you're going to have to use to keep them there. And if you build a circus, they're only going to come for the clown show. That's I love that line. Absolutely. If you if you build the circus, that's what they're coming for. You know, and if if it's all built around these fake ideas and veneers, it's it's really a house of cards. And I think that's what's bothered me the most is, you know, a lot of pastors out there are sucking people in on lies. And honestly, I don't blame the people. I, I blame the pastors because if if somebody in that authority position is lying to you and presenting salvation to something just that feeds into the hedonism of the world. And seems so easy and so feel good, you know, in sort of the structure within the paradigm of the world we've all been sold, you know, there's something wrong there. Absolutely. You know, because it, it isn't that salvation's not this beautiful, feel good thing. It, it is, but it's not within the paradigm of the world we've been sold and messaged on since we were kids through every form of media, every form of popular culture. It is all denied the reality and truth of what we're supposed to do. That's right. You know, and, and it, it works. Sadly, it has worked. And now we're in this time period, though, where there, there really is this amazing disruption happening. And I give credit to the Internet mm-hmm. because the Internet has done a lot of negative things, but it has also done a lot of really incredible things. It has opened the ability for information to travel anywhere in the world. That's right. You know, I mean, even outside of religion, you look at right now in China. Ten years ago, if there were these mass protests in Beijing and Shanghai and uh, Wuhan and all over the place throughout China, we wouldn't have seen almost any images. That's right. It would have all been blacked out from us. But this ability is transversed the globe in such a way that information is right at our fingertips every second, you know, in, in ways we really couldn't imagine 10 years ago. And so when you look at that as a byproduct of it, it's the same thing with faith. You know, it's it's all right at our fingertips mm-hmm. and it has awakened a group of people who have really been able to break through in that way and tell the truth about what is wrong here. And I think it gives us the opportunity to break through also and help create a new culture. And I think for a lot of us, that is the purpose God's giving us is to help create that new culture in every segment. And, you know, I will say one of the ways I've criticized the right, and this is something people have to have a lot of nuance piece together, is that I've said we have failed on the popular culture front because we make things so overtly religious when Mm. we're trying to affect people that we're not getting new people to latch into the ideas and values. And we do have to have two tiers here. One for people who are not believers, they're in the middle, they just want to be entertained, and we need to bring them away from the evil without being overtly religious in order to just maintain and create a popular culture that is built on some semblance of innate morality. That's right. And then when people are open, because people have to be open to to come to God, then you have this whole other, you know, level of culture that is really what 
God intended. But the way you get to that place is by having a gateway. That's right. And so, um, you know, that's that's one area where, you know, I've, I've sort of criticized our, our current state and where we need to change things. But as we go forward, you know, I think that you're, you're right on when we talk about pastors. Pastors have to be willing to be hated. Is that fair? It is fair. I mean, it's biblical, right? It's in the it's in the gospel. You think the world's going to love you when they hate it. it means is the words of Jesus, right? And so it, it's a revelation that I don't think many of us are willing to let the, let absorb into our being because we have sold signed up for something that that promotes the occupation of what we do instead of the divine call that God has given us, right? And so I don't care if people hate me for preaching the gospel. Uh, and I don't understand how my pastor friends out there would would give any thought or lose any sleep over the opinions of men who are here today and gone tomorrow. Like the words of people who are like dust on a, on the seashore, like they're here today, gone tomorrow. What do you say to somebody who comes to church and they hear you connect our beliefs as Christians to government and politics and they say, I love you, Clint, but I'm not coming back to church because it's too political. Oh, well, I would say the devil's political. I mean, I don't, I don't, we're, we're supposed to cast out devil, right? So I, I don't understand that theology. That's the language of, of, of cowards, quite honestly. What about when they say that's not biblical? It's well, not biblical to get political. I would say I, I don't get political. I'm talking about governments and there's a distinct difference, right? You can politicize your beliefs or you can preach the truth of the gospel. It says you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And this idea and this notion that somehow we're supposed to surrender the one area of the world that we live in on this side of heaven that legislates, dictates, mandates all the laws that affect not only us, but our children, we're supposed to stay out of that is uh, insane to me. Quite well, yes, insane. it's absolutely insane. You said something on Tuesday that I think everyone needs to take to heart and hear. And I just want to repeat it to you and I want to sure. explain it to people. You said, don't fear persecution. Fear the fruit of compromise in your effort in your efforts to avoid it. I just want to say that again. Don't fear mm-hmm. persecution. Fear the fruit of compromise in your efforts to avoid it. I think that's one of the most important value sets to, as a foundation for especially men, but for all people. That's right. You, you need to have that ingrained in your soul. You don't fear persecution, fear the compromise that it takes to avoid it. That's right. So explain that to us. I think- How do we do that in practice? Yeah, so I think number one, being absolutely convinced of your convictions to be loyal to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. First and foremost, it starts there. Your foundation and your loyalty to the, to the one whose government sits on his shoulders is paramount. Somehow we've bought into this idea that persecution is a bad thing. It's uncomfortable, right? No one welcomes persecution, but at the end of the day, persecution has never actually crippled the church. There's been tremendous revivals on the heels of tremendous persecution. What, what cripples the church is compromise. The only thing that's on the heels of compromise is a great falling away, a great wandering away. There's no transformation that comes to cities, towns, regions, or states when pastors are are compromising the truth of the gospel, what you have there are people who have signed up for something, meaning the gospel, and you've preached a half version or a half truth of that gospel, a diluted version of the gospel. And so when persecution comes, because the Bible says, anyone who has left mother, father, son, daughter, fields for my name 
will will not inherit a hundred times that in this life and persecution and in the life to come. And so persecution is not something you can avoid, but it is something that can strengthen you um, for the Great Commission. And so in our efforts to avoid persecution, we've compromised. We've sold our birthright as the ones who Jesus says, wait, all authority has been given to me. Now you guys go for it and make disciples of all nations. We don't go forth and make disciples of any nations because we're worried about what the person next to us thinks. That is a blueprint that brings nothing but destruction, diluted versions of the truth. Basically everything we're seeing right now in America in 2022. Well, I mean, if, if you just look at the pastors we were talking about, I mean, there seems to be a hunger for fame, a hunger for you know, I mean, it's unavoidable money yeah. to be at the center of all of this because when you have a pastor on private jets with multiple mansions who is out there essentially saying that you're somehow paying into the kingdom of God by enriching him, what what does that make you think as a pastor and what damage is that doing to the church? So my response to that would be simple. We have a lot of hired hands in the pulpit instead of genuine shepherds. And the Bible says that a hired hand will run when he sees the wolves coming. Or he'll open up the gate and let the wolves in. I mean, we've seen both, right? That's but a, it, a true shepherd fends off the wolves and is not afraid to call them out, yeah. right? Because you understand that obedience to God is the only thing you care about. And so when I hear the hear of these pastors, and I know many of them, right? They Well-meaning, I guess, maybe. I don't know if they're well-meaning. This idea that, you know, the Lord wants to give you everything, right? The prosperity gospel. I'm yeah. sure you've heard it, right? It's it's out there being peddled on every street corner and every mega church out there. You know, the Lord wants to prosper you. Yes, he wants to prosper you, but his kingdom, he says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's goodwill and good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But the kingdom he's talking about is the kingdom in Romans, where he says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that innate objects are bad. And you're talking about peace. I want to bring this back because for the people watching, um, you haven't gotten to see it yet, but in my conversation with Pastor uh, Rob McCoy, we talked about peace a lot Mm. because peace is a constant in terms of a desire that people have. That's right. And it's something that when they talk about the church, they talk about Jesus, you know, peace is constantly brought up. Where is, you know, your peace as a Christian, as a pastor, you know, where it's almost an escape route for some people to get away from conflict or or fighting and to try to flee that persecution. And the reality is, you know, and this is biblical, to get to the peace, you have to be willing to fight for the values and for the the word and truth of God. That's right. If you're not, you're never going to attain that peace. You may attain some form of, you know, something that you convince yourself is peace, but it's compromised. That's right. It's filled with evil. And you've you've really denied, I think, your number one job that you're given, which is to be that light. That's right. And you said something on Tuesday that I think everybody needs to hear. And it's that it's not necessarily that we have a darkness problem in the world. It's that we have a light problem. Can you explain what that means? Yes, absolutely. Let me address real quick what you said regarding the peace, because I think the way I would sum that up is, is this. There's such a lack of peace right now. Uh, among all believers and among the world, really. And I I would drill it down to this simple truth. We somehow believe that the chief aim of love is agreement, and it's not. The chief aim of love is truth, okay? It's very important for us to understand that. 
because everyone is compromising left and right and selling their souls to come into agreement. And that is not what sets people true, tr free. It's the truth that sets people free. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they didn't like each other. But guess what? They came into agreement to crucify Jesus. It is the truth that sets people free. And that's why there's such a lack of peace in the body of Christ right now, because no one is preaching truth. Not no one, but very few. Now, to answer your question, we don't have a darkness problem, right? Since we decided that our ways were higher than his ways in the garden, darkness crept in the earth, right? And it hasn't changed, right? What we do is we have a light problem. And somehow we have set aside the Great Commission, the commands of Christ to go forth and be the light of the world in the name of fame or fortune or just being liked by a world that is here today, gone tomorrow. And I think I used the analogy on, on Tuesday, but if I walk into a hotel room and I flip the light switch on and the light doesn't work, I don't call the front desk and say, hey, man, you got a darkness problem in room 23. I say, what's up with the light? It's not working. Yep. And I feel like that is a word for the body of Christ right now is what's up with the light? Yep. It's not working. And it's, it, it can be maddening. I'll just say that on a personal level. It's a little maddening to me because it all seems so obvious. But at the same time, we have to remind ourselves that we have to have this very open embrace for all these people to say, it's not too late to come. It's That's not right. too late to, to turn the light on because we need it. Without people turning their light on, darkness will continue to consume the earth. That's right. And... That's something that I feel like we have a responsibility to. And it's honestly what keeps me engaged on fire to fight every day. And you touched on something before that I think people need to remember. Everybody likes to always think of Jesus as this peaceful figure, this just absolute image of peace. And I understand why, but it comes with a forgetfulness. They're forgetting that Jesus was killed because his words were offensive. That's right. He was not afraid to offend everybody with the truth. And in the times we live in right now, where how often do we hear from the media and popular culture that the truth is offensive? It's offensive to say that a boy is a boy or a girl is a girl. It's offensive to say that there's a problem with a grown man going in a little girl's bathroom. Right. It's offensive to say that children shouldn't have sex changes. It's offensive to say, I mean, there's a whole, if we spent the rest of the, time here doing this it this take night. hours and hours and hours the list of offenses is endless and there's one commonality it's all about the truth being offensive that's right again and the unwillingness to go and engage with people and tell the truth is you making an act of choice not to follow in the footsteps of jesus that's right and so that's why excuses do bother me especially when I see right now in China and in Iran and in Venezuela, people risking their life, mm. all of their money, everything, they, everything they've ever worked for, their family members' safety, their children's safety, to just speak up and say, I want to be free. That's right. And to see them do that and then watch Americans make excuses because somebody down the street might not like you or might find you offensive or somebody in your office might look at you sideways or somebody at church might not like it. It blows my mind because that cowardice is not of God. That's you right. said something else about us not being called to be cowards in a corner. What are we called to be? We're the light of the world. We're cities on a hill, right? I mean, this is... And you can't do that hiding, hiding in a corner. No, you can't, but we've gotten really good at that, right? Yeah. First Samuel, it talks about, you know, 
I think the church has been under the leadership of Saul for far too long, yeah. quite honestly. And under the leadership of Saul, they got really good at putting their armor on and beating their chest and marching to the battlefield and then just standing on the ridgeline while yeah. Goliath advanced. And it took a David. I mean, we know the story. It took a David to say, what, are you serious, this guy? Yeah, <laughs> come on. You know, we're a city on a hill. Everything that we do can't be hidden. And when we light a lamp and put it on a lampstand and grab a basket of compromise and put it over our heads, no captives are being set free. I mean, my heart burns to see the captives set free in my own family, right? And they don't, they do not come to Jesus and experience the freedom that he paid for on the cross through a diluted version of the gospel, compromise or agreement. What should our goal in the near term mm -hmm. for not just strengthening the church and other believers, mm -hmm. but our, our country and governance. Like, what should our goals be in the immediate, you think? You know, we say this a lot uh, when we gather is our desire is to see Jesus get his full reward. And when people hear that, they're like, oh my goodness, you know, what does that mean? It means we desire for him, what he went through on the cross, his broken body and his blood that he shed for us to be free, to be lived out on this side of heaven, right? And so we shine, we salt, we don't hide, we preach truth, and we see a great number of people who had fallen away being brought back into the sheepfold. The only way you do that is if you're, if the fruit of your life actually resembles the one that you claim to know. Yeah. And next thing I want to ask you about is this separation of church and state. This is what constantly comes up. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the reason I felt like this episode and these topics were so important is because I think I, I have a pretty good track record of seeing where the media is going to go with things. And I believe the media is going to beat the drum on Christianity being dangerous harder than ever over the next two years. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be all tied to how dangerous extremists want to make the United States oh, a sure. Christian country. Totally ignoring the fact that our foundations as a country are built in Judeo-Christian values and that we've fallen away from them. We've fallen away from the things that make us great and made us special. And honestly, you know, you think about things like us doing away with slavery. That is born from a moral place. That's born from a country that says we morally cannot stand with this anymore. That's right. Without those values, slavery never ends. And you can see, I mean, just look around the world. We have more slaves right now in the world than there were in the American slave trade. And for a lot of people that blows their minds, they don't know that. The vast majority of people in America don't know that that statistic is actually correct. And the reality is that slavery lives elsewhere That's right. because it's in places that gave way to darkness That's right. and stopped showing light and stopped going and defeating the darkness. And that's that's ultimately what we have to do. So, you know, when they talk about the separation of church and state, I've always said that this is a confusion that is put on you through deception intentionally. That's and right. the idea is to make you believe that the government's role is to make sure the church does not impose on the government. When in fact, the real role is that the government needs to be told with ab absolutely no equivocation, you have to stay out of the church's business. And that is what separation of church and state really truly is. Correct. And and so am I, I'm assuming I'm right now that you said correct, but how would you go further with this? Like, what do people need to know to really be able to have this, this argument with people? If somebody says, well, you shouldn't be bringing your faith into politics or into how you vote or into government, you know, separation of church and states there for a reason. 
what would you say to those people when they need to have that that conversation with someone? I think, uh, you know, in a world that everyone's trying to deconstruct everything, right? It's a paramount importance that we understand that this is a lie, that this needs to be deconstructed. To echo what you said, it was designed to keep the state out of the church, yeah. right? And so, in my personal opinion, the only thing that's going to bring down this nation is if we actually adhere to this, right? Because the church has the power. The church has the authority to push back on darkness, wicked and evil laws and decrees that are released in this nation. And for me, I mean, I get people that text me, I loved it, loved coming, I felt the power of God, but you started talking about politics, so we're never coming back. I'm like, well, may the truth set you free. May you realize that you you can't separate dead to Christ, risen again as a new creation, made in his image from every area of your life, right? Well, let's take, for example, for example, you know, when the decision came to overturn Roe, mm -hmm. There were a lot of pastors who avoided talking about it, because which is they, crazy. They didn't want to upset people, and they didn't want to lose people, and they they ultimately didn't want to lose donors. And then on the flip side of that, you know, you have pastors who boldly proclaimed it, and had some people say, "Well, I don't want to go to the church anymore," and not many, but some some did this. And I got thinking about that, and I said, "You know, what it, what is the right thing?" Because somebody asked me, you know, how do you ensure that person, you know, goes the right direction? And I said, honestly, what my instinct tells me is by telling the truth. That's right. And they may fall away for a time. They may fall away forever. But again, if we go back to biblical principles, there's plenty of stuff in the Bible to back up the fact that sometimes you have to go through a period where you really are refining and you're sifting through the, the good and the bad and what needs to happen, you know? And I mean, just look at some of the, some of the stories of, of armies of the Bible, mm -hmm. where you'd rather have 300 good men than 30,000 who are going to get you killed. That's right. You know? And so am I wrong in that and saying basically no. that, that there is a, a time and a place where sometimes a pastor does have to be the person who someone feels pushed away by because that truth might come off confrontational, but the truth is meant to set you free. That's right. It's it's your choice whether you allow it to or not. That's right. And you you got to preach truth. Now you preach it in love, but you don't compromise on the values. on the values, right? And so if if I I will for a second, I, I believe that you know people say we're living in unprecedented times. We're in unprecedented times. I don't believe we're living in unprecedented times. For our generation, though, I believe it's an unprecedented moment because we're actually being asked to stand for something, yeah. right? And, you know, I'll even go further because I believe that every generation since Adam and Eve has had some version of a golden calf rolled out to them to worship. Absolutely. Some version, right? And for our generation, it's state-sponsored science. Yeah. We've got more than ever, I would say that. Uh, uh, just the, that's right. The, the vastness of the world, we have an incredible amount of false idols. That's right. And so an idol is anything that you have to check with before you obey God. I mean, that's just as simple as it gets. And for our generation, I believe it's state-sponsored science and the government's version of truth. And if they dangle those out there and you don't bow or you don't dance or you don't worship them, then you're labeled crazy or whatnot. But at the end of the day, Robbie, none of those people are standing with us on judgment day. We have to preach truth because the Bible says that he releases his word and it will accomplish what he wants it to. You preach truth, you pray for him, you say, God loves you, there's no condemnation here. But this is the truth. There are only two genders. Yeah. Right. Abortion's 100%. evil. I don't know. You know, there's, nothing there's else no is around. There's no middle. This is sort of, you know what, that's a microcosm of the larger problem in America. And it's that 
if you went back 20 years ago, you had that the two main parties in America were a lot closer than they are now. Mm. And so the differences were, you know, tax policy, and it was a lot more around the margins. We've gotten so far apart morally from one another that there isn't a middle ground to be had. And that's something that's hard, I think, for some people to reckon with, because especially if you're older, you're used to this world and this idea of politics where everybody always has to find that middle ground and agree on something. But the problem is you can't negotiate with evil. And, right. and when it's getting to a place where things are just explicitly evil, like the idea of killing a baby who's born or, you, you know, I mean, you can go on and on. It's just so far out of sync with our values that you can't get to a middle ground. And I think what I'm hearing from you is the same thing with pastors. There's going to be times where there's not a middle ground on something. You can't compromise the truth in order to have an extra person at church. And that's right. An extra check in the donation, you know, collection basket. That's right. And I tell my friends all the time, your 501c3 approval letter is not standing with you on judgment day. It is literally going to be the convictions of your heart and what you chose to stand for on this side of heaven. And, you know, at the end of the day, I I like my chances with God's word. You know, I I have a fair amount of people who probably don't care to invite me over. I didn't get many Thanksgiving invitations, but I do have hope that God is raising up a righteous remnant, a courageous bride that actually understands her authority and what his word says. I don't even have hope. I know it's the case. It is. I've seen it. I've seen it in action over the past few years, and it's really just a matter of leadership and getting people to the next step. So that's right. That actually was a great um, segue to the next question, which is what action, real life action, do people and churches and, and pastors need to take to affect change in government mm-hmm. in such a way that it reflects our values as Christians? What do we need to do in real life? What does that look like? I think first and foremost, anyone that has a quote unquote platform that has a voice, you must address the narratives that are being perpetrated in culture right now. You must give a biblical response to what is being um, pushed on our children right now. I mean, you can't turn a blind eye. I say this all the time. You're praying for revival, but you don't speak out against anything. And a silent pulpit will never bring revival. And just, biblically, why are children so important as a battleground? What what does God say about children and about people who lead them astray? I mean, it is his kingdom. The, these little ones, bring all of them. Anyone who causes one of these little children to stumble, it'd be better that you have a millstone around your neck. I mean, uh, wh- couldn't be more explicit. Hey, it couldn't be. Anytime he says, whoa. Right? It's all peaceful all the time. Like, that's not a peaceful line. It's making a very clear distinction it about where the battle lines are. The devil has one desire, and that is to destroy the image of God, period. And if he can't get you in the womb, he'll get you out of the womb. And that is what we're seeing right now. And so, you know, all of these laws, all of these mandates that are coming across have very little to do with us. It has everything to do with the generation behind us. And who's going to stand in the gap and who's going to stand in the wall? At the end of the day, I have four kids, eight and under. And people say, you're so intense, you're so intense. I don't have the luxury of not being. A thousand percent. <laughs> like, people have asked me the same thing. They're like, you know, uh, why do you care so much? You know, you, you've done well in life. Like you could just, you know, go enjoy your life. I could. I could just go enjoy my life. I could go and just have a good old time. Right. But I don't have that luxury because I'm awakened to what God intends for us. And I'm also awakened to what evil intends. For That's us. right. 
And if the choice is there for me to do whatever I can do to affect the outcome to make sure that my kids end up the recipients of what God has intended for us instead of what evil has intended for us, I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do to ensure that they live in the world that is affected by God, not by evil. That's right. And so, you know, it's about us. It's about us really being asked the question, do you care enough about who rules over your children? That's right. Because we can have great kids with great values and they can still be ruled over by evil if you allow that to happen. That's right. If you allow it to consume the world and our kids are only part of a, a group of, you know, a couple yeah. thousand, you know, at least they exist and there's some hope, I guess, but you've allowed them to fall into a world where they are ruled over by evil. That's right. And so this job of, of every day, making sure you were part of that army spreading truth and light, it's just, it's never been more important. And honestly, the size of the platform is something that has never really mattered to me. I'm thankful for having a platform, sure. but the thing, the way I've always thought of this is like, we're all connection nodes. Mm. And if I can affect 10 people and those 10 affect one each and those one each affect two each and those people affect two each, I mean, you just keep going and it right. snowballs. And before you know it, you've affected millions of people by just speaking up in your friend group. That's right. Speaking up when it's uncomfortable. Because ultimately, if you're not speaking up when it's uncomfortable, you're just preaching to the choir. You have to be willing to Come engage on. where it's uncomfortable. And that's been one of the things that's been most important to us is like, we can't shy away from these battles. I have to be willing to be okay with the fact that sometimes when I go out in public with my kids, people will say nasty things to me. That's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, it's almost a joke to me that some people are like, thank you for doing that. I mean, it's sweet. I appreciate it. But it's almost a joke because when I think about what other people have been through and been persecuted for their beliefs, I'm like, some person walking by me saying that's right. nasty to me or looking at me a weird way or you know what making some horrible comment like first of all it doesn't even affect me when when you're standing in the truth stuff like that like it's almost funny but sad more than funny because you feel bad for the people you do they're in the place they're in but it's just so raw and clear that telling the truth is the right thing to do. That's right. So, I, you know, in my mind, that's really, if I could impart anything on people by doing this episode, it's that our churches have to rise up and take their place in affecting government. Yes. And we can't shy away from our values. We can't go and compromise them. We can't go and try to find some way to fill our churches by telling lies. Mm -hmm. We're going to fill our churches by telling the truth. That's right. And, you know, and I can't tell you the number of people too, who I know, who have said they left the church, they stopped going to church because they were tired of the compromises. They were tired of the lies. They were tired of getting a lukewarm sermon that was built to not offend anybody. Mm -hmm. They wanted the truth. And so they stay at home and they watch videos online instead. And... I'm glad there's people preaching online and I think there's a lot of really great things that can come from it, but there's something about that physical community. Gathering with one another. Gathering with right. one another. That is really important. And so we need to awaken these churches. We need to awaken these pastors and we need to, you know, really get them back on track because it's not too late. And that's the other message. It's not too late that's right. for anybody 
to turn away from this compromise and to say, you know what, I'm going to stand fully in the truth and be unafraid and unashamed and take what, what comes along with it. That's right. And it's always greater. Whatever comes along with it is always greater than any temporal thing that you might lose in your moment of standing. It just always is. The gospel says it. I think one of the greatest things that we need to be aware of is somehow in the body of Christ that we have subscribed to the idea that we're called to be open-minded. But we're not. We're not called to be open-minded. We're called to be sound-minded. And there's a difference. Sound-minded on the Word of God. That means that anything you hear, any law that's struck, any narrative that is being sold or taught to our kids, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's got to go. That's right. We're not open-minded. We're not called to be (laughs) open-minded. We're not. And that's, that's the thing is, the lies that have been perpetuated on us for so long, you know, that's a programming that has to break because... Even things like that, they attach a feeling to words. Like the idea of of that is it's supposed to be feel good. But the truth is that if you're open-minded to everything, you're open-minded to the most evil things that you could eat. This Balenciaga story oh, that's man. going on right now. Um, Which every single person with a pulse and any semblance of a soul should be getting behind. What in the world? How are you not saying I mean, it blows my mind, the celebrities who are afraid to speak out. And this is what's what's interesting. Balenciaga had done a campaign that offended gay people. All of the celebrities would be out making statements. All of them. Every right, single they, one. They would have been canceled easy. There's very few groups you can offend and go after and attack and ridicule and exploit and not have these people virtue signal for brownie points. And... It's very telling that one of those groups is children and specifically children being sexually exploited. And that's that's a conversation for another day, but it speaks to the poison and rot in our culture, which honestly is at the root of all our problems as a society. You look at mass shootings, the guns haven't changed. We've had the same guns for over 60 years. That's right. We didn't used to have these mass shootings. So what changed if the guns didn't change? Because actually they were even easier to attain back then. They didn't have the cooling off periods. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of the things we have going on now. It was much easier to attain these. They were even cheaper. Yep. And so what changed? Our culture changed. It's what rotted from the inside out. It's what sold the idea. I call it the death culture. It sold the death culture to everyone. And when you have a culture that revolves around death and evil and darkness... Well, don't be surprised with the fruit that it bears. That's right. It's going to be dark and evil. And that's what's going to happen the longer you allow it to continue. But a story like Balenciaga ties in exactly with those mass shootings. And a lot of people don't realize that because it comes from the same depths of evil. And so, you know, when you look at something like that, back to this idea you need to be open-minded. I'm not, I'm not open-minded to what Balenciaga is doing. I'm not open-minded to doing a photo shoot where a child has alcohol no, of course. in front of them holding a pedophile doll that's it's insane. In, in bondage gear, you know? I, I'm, not, I'm not open-minded. I never <laughs> will be. I don't need to hear your take on it. It's and like... It's sort of like the love is love thing. Oh, man. It's, it's sold, this, this phrase, love is love, is sold to make you feel like, oh, obvious. Yeah, no, love is good. You know, love is kind. I love love. Love is great. Who doesn't love love? But in reality, no, love's not love. No, it's not. If I if I love a snake and I start making out with a snake every day, there's something wrong with me. Okay? Seriously. I, I, I need, like, real help. Yes. Okay, love is not love. If, if you're an adult who is attracted to children, 
Love is not love. No. You are a very sick person, and I've always advocated if you hurt a child in that way, I honestly, I'm a big believer that you should be subject to the death penalty. Correct. And that's another subject, too, that I've gotten some heat from people on where they say, well, that's not very Christian of you. I go and I, I read the Bible. Of course, the peaceful parts matter a lot to me, but there's also plenty of parts of the Bible that make it very clear that God was not shy about killing evil people and about using men to kill evil people and empowering government and leaders to do the same thing when it's about going and setting moral boundaries. Mm -hmm. it's, it's throughout the entire Bible. So sometimes I wonder if the people saying this have never read the Bible because it's throughout it. It's not just one example or two. It's, it's many times where men are empowered to have to do that. And do we want to go kill people? No. And, and again, would people say, thou shall not kill? This is, this is sort of the, the rub here because we would say, how are you pro-life then? I'm, I'm pro-life for innocent, mm -hmm. for innocent people. When somebody goes and they brutally rape a child and they murder them, that's where my, my pro-life you know, stance ends because once you take that blood from one of God's children, I believe it's time to let God decide but not let any more children be in harm's way. Correct. Not give you any opportunity in some cataclysmic event where there's a prison break or something that you could go hurt another kid. And it's time for God to, to take that one on. And I pray for your soul. I pray that between the time that you're incarcerated and the time that you are, you know, put to the death penalty, that you have a change in your soul and that you're able to go up there and have God be able to, to see you in some different way. I can't, though. As a man, I can't. And so that's always been my belief. You're free to disagree. I mean, you're a pastor, so uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. But that's that's always been the way I've seen it, is I think that some people, they confuse the the kindness of Jesus with this idea that we're, we're never supposed to fight evil. That's right. That has led us to where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, cowards, really. And this idea that, you know, we read the, the Gospels of Jesus reclining at tables and we take that and then we just completely gloss over him flipping him and he did both right and so if all we do is run around saying love 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 then we're just like some west coast hippie commune right but if all we do is to say you know true true truth and flip the tables then you know we're like the angry old neighbor it's like stay off my grass right you you need to be sound-minded on the word of god preach truth no matter what your friends think and let uh, the Lord go forth and fight your battles for you and be ready to embrace people, right? You, you can, and here's the thing too. A lot of people will go, well, you know, you have these, these beliefs. So does that mean you, you know, hate certain people? Do you hate trans people? I don't hate trans people. I'm also called to love people. And I'm, I'm going to, to have, you know, space in my heart always for people that I disagree with and want them to end up in that better place, want the best for them. That's right. And that's never going to come with hate. That's never going to come with like, oh, they deserve physical violence or anything like that. And that's that's probably the craziest thing to me is these people who will take, you know, us wanting to ban sex change surgeries for kids and turn it into you're inciting violence against trans people. I would never, ever in a million years tell people go be violent toward anybody. Okay. Again, even in the context of the death penalty. That is something for the justice system. That's right. You know, and that's what I've advocated for is that the justice system needs to do that, not vigilante justice. We need to have a justice system that, you know, clearly sets these boundaries. And that's another problem. When you see a world go into darkness, 
things like the justice system get tainted. And that's what we're seeing play out now where people get out with no bail yeah. for vicious crimes, vicious assaults, you know, and, and you see cases where this blows my mind on a constant basis. I see these cases because of my wife's work where these people get arrested, they get convicted of having child sexual abuse material, even of uh, physical rape of a child. And they get less time in prison than you do for the IRS, you know, finding that you you messed up on your taxes. No yeah. joke. I mean, there's there's a case that just saw somebody went away the other day, um, 10 years. I saw that. It was it was for an IRS case, okay? And this is a prominent person. Yep. And their spouse, again, I think it was seven years, okay? On the flip side of that, I saw that very same day, somebody who had thousands of images, a prolific trader of child sexual abuse material that a lot of people call child porn, a prolific trader of it, got two years. In two years, they'll be back out. And then, you know, you have to look at society and go, okay, something's wrong here. It is. And that's around the entire spectrum of our society right now. All of our culture, it's all poisoned with that darkness. And that's why this is so important. Anybody who's been avoiding being that truth teller, now is the time. Like, you have to, this is the place. If you want to save this world, for our children and grandchildren. Now's the time to take a stand and be uncomfortable. And in action, I think that looks like an everyday thing of being uncomfortable, telling the truth, not being afraid to share your convictions and your beliefs with people, being an activist. I know being an activist doesn't sound attractive to a lot of people. It's a lot more fun to go and like do other stuff and go to the beach and sure. everything else. doesn't mean you can't do those things, but you're going to have to commit some time to doing things that are uncomfortable. Showing up, like good example, you can affect government change through showing up. Showing up is half the battle. That's right. We just did this rally to end child mutilation in Nashville with Matt Walsh and Daily Wire. My wife landed and uh, thousands of people showed up. And when the lawmakers in Tennessee saw all the people who showed up to stand firm and to tell them, there was literally a period of it where I had them tell the lawmakers, all these thousands of people say, we want these uh, sex changes banned for children. Um, and again, once you're an adult, like I think that there's a different set of laws that and freedoms that allow you to do things I don't agree with, but children, we have a duty to protect. And that they didn't want these drag shows where children were allowed at them. They didn't want the, the porno pornographic books in schools. Mm -hmm. And when lawmakers hear this stuff, you get action. And we immediately got the very first bill introduced for the new session is one that bans the, ge the general mutilation of children and bans the hormones and being the, uh, puberty blockers. And then another bill just came forward, which was the other point we were really pushing on, which is banning children from the drag shows. And so I'm thankful to the lawmakers we've worked with, you know, Lamberth in the House and then Jack Johnson in the Senate, who have made these bills happen. But it's been because people stood up and That's forced, right. You know, I've had people be like, thank you, Robbie, for all you and your, your wife do for making these things. We didn't make any of this happen. We're just a voice. It's all right. of your voices and us just saying, hey, here's the info. This is how you affect change. Be a part of that change. Raise your voice. Send emails. Make phone calls. It does make a difference. It does. And, you know, we, we just got to stand. There's no other option that we got to stand. There's power and great unity around the truth, right? And what we got to do is understand as pastors, you got to get out of this tribal gang type hangout, right? Where you're East Side Baptist, I'm West Side Presbyterian. We can't hang. Like, you need to throw out to the side and recognize that the enemy is actually over there and united, we actually have power and authority to push him out of our nation. 
which I believe God is doing a restorative work in our nation, but it's going to take pastors who stand for truth. And this is one other thing I'll tell, you know, I tell people all the time is there's no such thing as a pro-choice pastor that, that doesn't exist, right? That's a made up You're looking for a logo. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't exist, right? No, no, there are pro-choice wolves, but there are no pro-choice pastors. And the sooner you realize that, and that answers your question though, because diluting the truth that abortion is evil leads to all this other stuff. Well, I guess it's little baby in front of you know sex toys is normal it normalizes wickedness and evil because those who are supposed to be standing for righteousness have said nothing and you know like it or not we'll all be held accountable one day right i never i I didn't sign up to be a pastor yeah well that's a whole (laughs) other thing like uh, the work that you and your wife do is just incredible and i i hope that people if they're inspired by this that they take the time to look in further to everything that you and your wife have done because you know Tell us about your nonprofit. I wasn't planning to do this, but yeah, you know, sure. tell us a little bit about it because I went to your guys' gala recently and to watch the video of the work you and your wife have done over the years and the change you guys have affected, it really moved us as a family and it just further solidified you guys are the fighters we need in this. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you guys, we, we enjoyed having you guys, but for the last 10 years, we've been in East Africa, primarily in Uganda at, with a clear mandate from the Lord to... Uh, raise up local leaders to bring freedom to their own nations and so all the stuff that we're seeing kind of spoon-fed to americans right now we've been seeing for the last decade right prior to elections they shut the internet down i mean the playbook has just now made its way over here but the abuse of children the kidnapping the trafficking the sacrifice of kids it's a global thing right because uh, our battle's not against flesh and blood, it's principalities that we're battling. But we've been able to uh, to do some tremendous work over there by the grace of God and the leaders that we raised up there, you know, to build schools and health clinics and churches and clean water wells and have has eradicated the child sacrifice in the villages that we've worked in. So That's amazing. Amazing, because if yeah. people understood the problem of child sacrifice in many of these areas is actually a very real problem where people sell off their children to be sacrificed as right. adopters and stuff like that. So where can people go to read more, watch videos and see, you know, sort of what you guys are on in your nonprofit, but also if they want to get involved and be able to see your sermons, can they do that online? Yeah. So the nonprofit is called Project R12. And so it's just projectr12.org. And you can hop on there and see all the work that God's allowed us to do over there. So it's, it's really, really exciting. And then our church is called His House Nashville. So it's hishousenashville.com. And, you know, preaching truth is just one thing, it is the main thing we do, but, you know, God always backs up his word with signs, wonders, and miracles. So it's cool. People get healed, set free with a bunch of amateurs just up there reading his word because that's what goes forth and does it. So hishousenashville.com and projectr12.org. Well, thank you so much for coming on oh, yeah. and being part of this conversation because, you know, I'm, I'm taking a wild guess here. I don't think this is the last time we're going to be talking about this. I think that this is going to become a hot button issue over the next two years and going into the 2024 election. I think that they're really going to beat the strum uh, trying to fear monger around Christianity and Christian people wanting a government that reflects their values. And that's just, that's just crazy. For all of human history, people have wanted governments and leaders who reflect their values. And there is nothing wrong with you if that's what you want. In fact, there is Amen. something wrong if you don't want that. If you aren't fighting for that, you need to get right with yourself and your beliefs and your values and be convicted enough to stand up for them and to be willing to be persecuted for it so thank you so much i appreciate Thanks for it. having and, me uh, i hope that that other people got what i got out of his message last tuesday because 
it was just fantastic. In fact, is that online for people? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's on Spotify too. But it, you know, if you go to hishousenashville.com, uh, it'll be on there. So go there, check it out. It's incredible. You will not regret it. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. If you liked what you heard, tag me on social media, repost clips from it, share it with your friends. You sharing our show is how we grow and it's how we get the truth out there. So if you want to help spread the truth and help wake people up, please go and share our show. Go to our website, RobbieStarbuck.com for more information or to watch old episodes. See you at the next episode.